0: Welcome to Well-Versed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed
1: podcast. I am really thrilled to hear her story. Melissa Odin. she is from Kansas City. Now, we'll find out if she's from the Kansas City-Kansas side, that's the real true Kansas City, or the Kansas City-Missouri side, we're about to find out which side is, side is the ongoing battle between the two states as you well know but her story is much more important than which side of the state border she lives on Melissa welcome to the show
0: thank you so much for having me and thank you for knowing that there are two sides to Kansas City <laughs>
1: <laughs> And uh, I of course lived in Kansas I'm not in the Kansas City area but I lived away from it and you live on the Missouri side
0: somebody has to Jim
1: Well, most of Kansas City is in Missouri, what, two-thirds of it at least, I suppose, and and my mother's from Missouri. She was born just a few miles north of where you currently are. Melissa, I am so elated to have you on and tell your story. Uh, I'm going to just turn it to you. Your story is so moving, so tender, so powerful. I'm going to turn it to you. I may break in and ask a few questions from time to time, but tell us about Melissa Odin.
0: Yeah, Melissa Oden, I think like most of us didn't have this life planned for herself. I mean, my life is a miracle and certainly God has spared my life and called me to be his witness in the world. And, you know, I always want to be clear with people, no matter if you can relate to my story or not, I think we all know what it's like to be called by God to speak his truth in a world that doesn't often want to hear biblical truth. And so I guess I'll start there to say I'm just like you. But my beginnings are very different than many people. I'll age myself really quickly, Jim. We'll get that little piece out of the way. I'm 45, (laughs) which I shouldn't have to talk about. But I do because the reality is it fits this kind of historical context. So, you know, we we were, of course, recently celebrating the first March for Life with Roe versus Wade no longer being seen as the law of the land. And that's important for me because 45 years ago during Roe, my birth mother as a 19-year-old college student was forced to have a saline infusion abortion. And when i say forced i mean literally forced ap- against her will it's not pleasant to hear about but it's one of those realities i think we need to face in the church and in families you know my birth mother's family would have been just like any other family who had sitting in your church every sunday they were singing in the choir they were upstanding people in the community my maternal grandmother was a prominent nurse in their city of sioux city iowa But like many families, they had a secret, and the secret was that my birth mother had become pregnant while she was engaged to my biological father out of wedlock, and they were not, of course, pleased about this unplanned pregnancy. And so as a prominent nurse, my grandmother knew how to make a secret forced abortion take place, bypassing hospital regulations and procedures, And so that's what ultimately led to this forced abortion. And we live in a world that wants to say, you know, abortion is always a choice and a right, but we know statistically most women identify feeling pressured into their abortion. And we also live in a world that wants to say that somehow people like me don't exist. But over five days, I soaked in a toxic salt solution of that saline infusion abortion It was meant to poison and scald me to death. It was lasting far longer than what it should have. And so they started to think my birth mother was going to lose her life. They, of course, believed I would lose mine. That was the intention. But on the fifth day of the abortion, they successfully induced her labor. And instead of being delivered as a successful abortion, a dead baby, I was accidentally born alive that day in August of 1977.
1: That is astounding. How do you account for the fact that you survived that?
0: It is a miracle. It is the hand of God. I am forever grateful for my life to have been spared. And, you know, as you can imagine, Jim, when I later found out my story, like many survivors, I had to go through this process of saying, why me, Lord? Why did I survive? Why was my life spared when tens of millions of children have not been that fortunate and i still carry that grief as you can hear in my voice but you know um i've come to recognize the fact that there was no difference between me and tens of millions of other children who were successfully aborted i think you know in my case there were so many people that said yes to him yes lord we see that this little girl survived and is fighting for her life and we're going to fight for her to be saved yes lord we see this little girl who needs to be loved, and we are going to bring her into our family. That's probably the difference between me and other children.
1: So you want to continue? I'm going to direct the questions about your birth mother and birth grandmother, if we can, and then pick up your life from from where where you just described. Uh, go in whatever order you want to, but we're going to obviously be curious if you reestablish contact with your birth mother. The reason I ask, I'm i the World Care Network family knows this because I've mentioned many times I'm the father of four adopted children, and uh, as it turned out in the course of time, with my blessing and knowledge, three of the four have made contact eventually with their birth mothers. Those those have been really good. They have chosen to and have been really good. We 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 ended up learning that my oldest child was conceived as a result of a gang rape and uh, a fourteen year old girl and with a highly problematic pregnancy where she had to lay flat on her back for three months. So she's a hero in my book and I, we 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 formed the friendship with her and established contact and just really got regarded her as a hero. so so I'm quite moved by stories of, like yours by virtue of the route that I have been down, but have you made? have you had contact with the, the birth mother or the birth grandmother is that a fair question to ask
0: that's a that's a very fair and common question you know when i was accidentally delivered alive that day you know that day's now my birthday i just asked a group of teenagers last night what's the difference between you and me why do you have a birthday and i have a day i was accidentally born alive that i now celebrate as my birthday And they got that question, right? Because there is no difference between everyone else and survivors like me. It was never anyone's choice or right to try to end my life. And, you know, it's been a long and kind of complicated journey to my birth mother. I now know that when I was delivered alive that day, I was initially laid aside and not provided medical care. My grandmother demanded that the nurses in that room leave me to die. And sadly, we know that I am not the first or the last child that those kind of demands have been made of. You know, I was just with members of Congress recently as they passed the Born Alive Bill in the House after it was blocked so many times in the past. And I celebrate that bill because I know that children like me should be provided medical care. It should be insured. You know, in my case, I ultimately had one nurse rush me off to the NICU because she was unwilling to follow those orders. And that was that first person who said, yes, Lord, we see her and we're going to work to save her. And you wouldn't know it if you looked at me today that I was rushed off to the NICU in very poor shape. They started to gather. My birth mother was about 31 weeks pregnant when that abortion was forced on her. My abortionist had written 18 to 20 weeks in my medical records. And I find this often in the population of survivors that we serve abortionists just aren't performing any kind of exam to know how far along a woman really is. And that's probably also why I'm alive. But I suffered from seizures. I was under incredible distress. They thought I had a fatal heart defect. Uh, You name it, I was suffering. But the nurses prayed over me and they remembered me for decades to come. And I was ultimately placed for adoption. My mom and dad met me when I was still lying in an incubator full of tubes and wires fighting for my life. But they loved me into life, as I know you can relate to. And so I went home to them when I was about three months old. Grew up knowing I was adopted. Knew I had been born prematurely. You know, one of the things I love about my mom and dad is that they raised me to know that my birth mother loved me enough to give me life and the gift of my family when she couldn't care for me. But I think God intended for me to know my survival story, and so it came out accidentally when I was 14 through my older sister's unplanned pregnancy. And, you know, I wish I could tell you that when I heard the news, Jim, that I immediately embraced who God made me to be. But back then, I didn't know that abortions failed and babies could live, and I felt such incredible grief and anger and resentment for the first time towards my biological parents, thinking. Why did anybody do that? Why couldn't I have just been placed for adoption? And, you know, in the midst of that, God met me time and time again and saved me from myself and my own suffering and really gave me this heart for my birth mom of love and forgiveness long before I could even understand her story. All I knew is that her life had to have been changed by that event and that God wanted me to find her. So she knew that she was loved. And so it took me over 10 years to find her. I found out who my birth parents were when I was about 30, learned I was living in the same city as my birth father in Sioux City, Iowa. At the time, I moved there during my years of searching, knowing that's where the abortion took place. But I never thought my family was actually from there. Uh, But that was obviously God's plan of restoration and reconciliation. And, you know, my birth father sadly passed away before I could ever get to know him. I had sent him a letter. There was never any kind of response And at the same time, I started to reach out to my birth mother and her family. And my birth mother's family did correspond with me a little bit, but let me know that my messages would never be passed along because they were completely estranged. And it would take about seven years after that, when I moved to Kansas City, for me to finally have contact with her. And really, the only reason why I started to have contact is because what I never could have imagined is that... When I moved to Kansas City, she lives here.
1: Oh, so, oh.
0: I moved from the city where my birth father lived to the city where my birth mother and one of my half sisters lived. Oh
1: my. <laughs> oh my. Uh, you you use the term accidentally born, you were providentially born. Exactly. <laughs> and you were providentially moved. Well, conti- this story is intriguing. This uh we we need we need a movie on this one. But keep keep going. Keep going with your story.
0: Yeah. So when we moved here to Kansas City, that really opened the line of communication with my birth mother. And as you can imagine, having walked this out with your own children, this is difficult to engage with biological family. Add in the layer of an abortion. And I often say there is no rule book on how you walk this out. And so it was tenuous when we first started to communicate. And really, the reason why it was tenuous, Jim, is because... What I also didn't know is that my birth mother had spent over 30 years believing the abortion had been successful.
1: Oh, my
0: goodness. Oh, my. So she did not know it had been unsuccessful until she met you. She found out when I was about 30. So really, I mean, God's timing is so amazing to me. You know, here when I find out who she is and I'm starting to find her. And I'm starting to speak publicly. Her family sees me on TV and starts to, they knew immediately who I was. And they finally told her. My grandmother had known, obviously, that I had survived. I now know that when I was rushed off to the NICU, she followed that nurse in and told all the other nurses to keep it a secret that I ever survived. And so They did. So many people knew, but my birth mother did not know. And so that's why it was so hard for us to start communicating because she was so unsure of me. You know, I'll never forget. She said to me very early on in that process, she said, you can't love me the way that you say you do. And now that you know what, what my family did, how could you ever forgive us? And I can tell you where I was standing when I read that, because I thought, Jim, that is the worst thing somebody could ever say to me, that I don't love them, right? Because I have loved her for so long. And I stepped back from that though, and I realized in that moment that my life had been so different than her. She was never loved unconditionally. You know, that forced abortion is a good example of that. But it's just one of many examples of that. I was loved unconditionally. My parents are people of great faith. And so I had a very different life. And I love that looking back on it now, even though people know me for the work that I do in this world for life, I think the most important thing I ever could have done was love her and bring her back to Christ.
1: Oh, my. There's just so many questions. How how did you, first of all, how did you find her and what do you mean? Did you say her, your grandmother, your biological grandmother, birth grandmother saw you on TV and knew it was you? Did I hear you right? So how did you find your mother? And tell us about this, this TV observation. How did that take place?
0: <laughs> I started to share my story publicly about 15 years ago. When I say, you know, God called me to this, I mean it. I I've lived very, very different career paths in my life. I was a teacher initially until a student changed my life. Then I got a master's degree in social work. I've had always had a heart for serving people, but um, loved what I did as a clinical social worker. And in the midst of it, you know, knew that God had spared my life for a reason and really felt like I was probably supposed to do something with it. I never thought it would become my career and that it was my calling, but started to share my story back in 2007, which is When I found my medical records that included my birth parents' names, that's how it ultimately led me to contact with both sides of those families. Um, But started to share my story publicly, started to show up on TV. And, you know, honestly, I wanted my birth parents to hear from me before they could ever see me on TV. And of course, I couldn't make my birth mother's family ever be honest i didn't understand the secrets that existed but that's ultimately how they saw me on tv because i started to speak out about my story and they they saw me they were from that area in sioux city saw me on tv and I, I. they knew your name
1: they knew they knew your name so they knew it was you their their granddaughter
0: nope they knew it because of the details of the hospital and the year and in reality, I am the spitting image of my biological father, to a T. Oh, wow. So they pieced it together very quickly to know that I was who they thought I was. And, you know, I think it's a good reminder to all of us. I often say this to families. You know, we often engage in a sin, and we know, of course, that it affects generations, and there are cycles of, of generational patterns that happen, But I think sometimes people sin and they lie and they they sin and they lie and they start to look on it and go, how do you ever grab a big enough shovel to dig out of this? We're not even going to dig. We're just going to keep going. And I think it was probably like that for them. I look back on it and I think God gave them so many opportunities to be honest with my birth mom and bring in some level of healing and a different life for their family. But they never grabbed a shovel to dig out. And so when we moved to Kansas City, that's when one of her cousins reached out to me. That's who made the bridge to my birth mom. And then I started communicating with my half sister that lives here in town. And then they opened the doors with my birth mother. So we communicated for about three years by email and letters and photos, even though we lived in the same community. And I think we both you know, were fearful of maybe the other one stopping communication or maybe you know saying no i don't ever want to meet you so i brought it up about three years into communicating and so we have now known each other face to face for oh gosh you know the better part of seven years and uh my my kids know my birth mom ruth is just another one of their grandmothers They are raised alongside their cousins. We get together as often as we can. And, you know, if you ask my kids about it, both my girls, I have a 14-year-old and 8-year-old, they know about the abortion. They know that if that abortion would have been successful, they never would have lived. That's the impact of one life for generations to come. But they know that ours is a story that God wrote that is one of love and forgiveness.
1: When you ask your birth mother if you could meet with her and and she said yes presumably and and then what was what was that meeting like and then secondly did you meet with your birth grandmother and here's the one who engineered your demise what was that meeting like
0: I never did meet my maternal grandmother. She passed away about a decade ago. But interestingly enough, I mean, God's ways are so surprising, aren't they? I now know that when I attended a major university outside of my home in Iowa, I I was there as a freshman in college and honestly thought I just had a horrible case of being homesick. I was not enjoying myself. I ended up transferring after one semester. There was a heaviness that I didn't understand. What I know now, Jim, through knowing my biological family is my maternal grandmother was the associate dean of the nursing college there at the time. There is a scholarship there still in her honor. My birth mom was attending that university when she became pregnant with me.
1: Oh. Oh.
0: It is the most wild God story, isn't it? So I. I, I suspect our paths crossed, but we never met. My maternal grandfather is still alive. And, you know, my prayer always is that he knows that he is loved and he is forgiven. That's not no. a relationship he's ever wanted to pursue with me.
1: Oh, so you have not met
0: him? I've not met him. <clears throat> um, you know, like a, like a lot of families, that abortion forever changed my birth mother's family. I I try to educate people about the fact that abortion doesn't just impact one person's life; it changes entire yes, families. Yes, yes. I, I want to pray right now on that. We'll go,
1: Father. I pray over Melissa for being reunited with her birth grandfather. She has the privilege of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in its fullness, including the healing, the forgiveness, and the healing. He can know for any part he played. And we play pray for a full restoration of a relationship. Miraculous, like the rest of Melissa's life. This is a series of miracles, Lord. It's not a big deal for you to bring one more. So we call it forth in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Pick right up with the story. So you're meeting with your birth mother. Everybody who's listening to this is wondering, how did that go? Walk us through those first few remarkable moments.
0: I wanted to run away. I'll be very honest. <laughs> we met at a public place. Uh, we met at the Kansas City Zoo, of all places. And, you know, did it because we've always tried to find some sense of normalcy, I think, in the midst of a very abnormal set of circumstances. And, you know, also felt like it was probably a good distraction. We, My half-sister joined us and she had her kids. I had one of my kids. And, um, you know, I'll never forget. Every time I go to that zoo, I look upon the place where we first met with such fondness. You know, I'm so grateful that God allows me to have that memory. But my sister, my half-sister had texted me and said, we're here. And I knew where they were standing And I remember looking there and that feeling in the pit of my stomach was like, just run away, right? Like, this is just nerve wracking. You've been waiting your whole life for this moment, but yet you don't feel like you can do it. And so I just remember counting my steps to her and my half sister, Jen, was holding Ruth's hand. And I'm the older sister on that side of the family. And I enjoy getting to fill that role when I can with my half-sisters. But she very symbolically took Ruth's hand and placed it in mine. And that was so... You know,
1: Ruth is Ruth is the birth mother?
0: Yeah, Ruth is my birth mom. So Jen is my half-sister. And so Jen um, placed Ruth's hand in mine. And when Ruth and I embraced that day, she said, I never got to hold you. That's a real that'll get you, won't it? (laughs) So that's how our time together began. And I, you know, if Ruth was here today, she would tell you I asked her a lot of questions that day. Uh, I was nervous and also just wanted to ask her as much as I could, not knowing how many opportunities I would have to ask her questions. And, you know, that really has been that first step to the rest of our lives together. And when we first met, I had given her a necklace with scripture and, you know, reminded her that God loved her. And I said, you know, you may not believe this now, but I have hope that someday you will. And she said, you know, if there is a God, Melissa, like you always talk about, where was he when I needed him? And I said to her that day, I understand how you feel that way. But I said, I would not be alive and we would not be together if it wasn't for him. And so it didn't really take long, Jim, in our relationship for her to be changed. And so she'll say often, you know, God really did love me all along, didn't he? Doesn't get any better than that for me.
1: My goodness. So she, she's still living, I presume, from what you're saying. Yes. yes, And you have an ongoing relationship that sounds very meaningful. and. If I may pose this question, is is her journey to Jesus progressing? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's ongoing. You know, I think her greatest obstacle probably is forgiveness. She would also say that as well. Uh, She doesn't share her story frequently. We've done a couple of interviews together that, you know, showed up at the Christian Post and other places. Uh, And she said, you know, I know that I need to forgive my parents for what was done to us but she said I'm still on this journey she,
1: don't pray for her she's she really is every bit of a victim herself by the coercion mm-hmm. um and and she and her her, her mother has passed away uh, so the relationship there was with her grandfather I don't know how active he was in theirs but well I just want to agree with you for full healing forgiveness of herself. Mm -hmm. forgiveness of her mother forgiveness of her father even the abortionist Mm -hmm. and others involved in in this tragic attempt and praise god for the miracle what a lord what a miracle worker you are in all of this in the name of jesus i pray uh if you want to continue i have several questions like how many that you know of that are that, that have survived abortion I, I know there's an organization as such i've heard but i want to cover just first your story before we go any sort of that it's sort all of techie stuff <laughs> any, any more that you're you're a phenomenally gifted storyteller and i hope your story gets told everywhere uh is there i i assume you have an active website am i correct
0: I do. My personal website is o h d e n. O H D E N.com. I have one book out right now called You Carried Me, a Daughter's Memoir. My second book will come out next January, so January 2024, with focus on the family. The working title right now is Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence. So in it, I tell uh, about 10 other abortion survivors' stories and a couple stories through the lens of the woman who has experienced a failed abortion so giving women like my biological mother a voice something that hasn't ever really happened in our society before
1: the uh you went by that pretty quickly. the average person getting a paper and pencil over writing it down so i'm going to repeat it melissa m-e-l-i-s-s-a odin dot com. an unusual spelling for odin and the book she has out is You Carried Me. I suppose they can get it on Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, abortion, the next book, watch for Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence. Did I get that right?
0: You did.
1: <clears throat> uh, walk me through a little more, any more in the relationship component, your story, your family, before I go on some kind of techie questions. Any more that we haven't covered in it. That's a incredibly moving story to hear. Uh, It brings a teardrop to everyone's eyes who's listening right now. Anything more on that story?
0: Well, I mean, there always could be, but we'll keep it there. You know, I just want families to be encouraged by the fact that there can be healing after an abortion occurs because that that abortion impacted both my biological parents. You know, my birth father ended up passing away not long after I had sent him my letter. And so that's why I never had any kind of communication or relationship because he passed away. But in the midst of it, he actually gave me the gift of his family because when he died, his family cleaned out his office and found a letter that I had sent there. And so Oh. I know minor detail. Um, oh there's my a good goodness. Story. So my my paternal grandfather Uh, was a huge part of my life until he passed away just a couple of years ago. We lived in the same city, Sioux City, for many, many years. Um, But my grandmother was married to my grandfather on that side of the family and could never bring herself to meet me uh, because I was such a reminder of her son. He died when he was very young. He was 51. My birth father was. So there was a lot of grief over losing him. And then You know, I think the complicated emotions and thoughts of never knowing his side of the story about what he did or didn't know about that abortion or the role that he played in it. But, you know, Jim, based on my relationship with my birth mom and then knowing what I do from medical professionals, I have every reason to believe that my biological father probably did not know that I survived as well. So I hope the letter that I sent him before he passed away could bring him, even though it was probably shocking to know that he his child survived, I hope that it also brought him some peace.
1: Wow. And so your your paternal grandparents, one of them are still living, is
0: that right? Both are now
1: deceased, yeah. Both are now deceased, but you got to meet with the paternal grandfather, mm-hmm. but not the grandmother. Right and and other extended family members uh, you've met with you have ongoing communication with them. is that accurate?
0: Yeah, on both sides of that of my maternal and paternal biological families.
1: Now did your adoptive parents know any of this story?
0: not the the whole bulk of it. My mom and dad, you know their adoption journey is so fascinating. you might be able to relate to some of it. My mom and dad, were infertile for 15 years. So they were foster parents. They adopted my older sister from another family through social services. And, you know, it's interesting because I've gone through all of their adoption paperwork. And when their home study was updated early that August of 1977, there was a piece of paperwork from the social workers that said, you know, you passed your home study, but I hate to tell you, it's going to be a long time before you have another child placed for Adoption with you because there's just so many families on the waiting list. Well, somehow God made a way just a couple of weeks later because they got the phone call from social services about a little girl who was a special needs adoption because she survived an abortion procedure. And, you know, it didn't take my mom and dad a second to know that they were called to be my parents and my mom often says that the moment they laid eyes on me they knew that they were my mom and dad and they didn't have a penny to their name honestly Jim I mean lost their farm in the 1980s typical midwestern farmers but they had faith and they had love and that is exactly what I needed
1: oh my I want to hear more about this Melissa this The story's about you, not about me. Here's our our story. I I was a graduate student working on my doctorate in in New Jersey. And um, and New Jersey says, we can't go forward with you because you're a legal resident of Kansas. And, And so I contacted Kansas and Kansas says, we can't go forward with you for adoption purposes because you're living in New Jersey. We can't do social work. We can't do studies on you. And I flew back to a speaking engagement and a medical doctor, a, a cousin of mine, he heard the story. He said, well, I might know something. That's all he said. I might know something. And sure enough, uh, not too much later, maybe a couple months later, he phoned us. And we said, he said, uh, get on a plane and fly here across the country for adopting a baby. Now, we did not know that that baby was, as I indicated earlier, conceived through a gang rape. Didn't know all the stories. Uh, I went there, and we had, we were graduates, we, we had no money. So we're walking by the business office, and I said to the attorney from that town who I just met, who I just hired for that purpose, I said, do we need to stop in here at the business office? He says, no, it's been taken care of. Now, I did, because I was, we're holding a newborn baby we just met, and we had to fly across America, and there's so much going, I, I I was distracted enough by the moment I failed to ask. What, what do you mean? But but I, I didn't because I was just trying to think of getting my wife and we, we my, family, my baby home. And 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 so I didn't ask and, and found out it would have been an enormous cost. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it then it was 36 years later I found the birth mother was in there for three months. And the birth mother would tell me says, Boy, whoever's gonna pay for this is gonna really be hit with an enormous cost because I'm in here so long. And so once I Put that together a few years ago. I tried to go back see who paid that, and the only one I can figure is another one of my cousins who was a medical doctor actually did delivery. I think he—that's the only person left that knew about this. And I—and he's deceased. He died of cancer a few years ago. My first cousin, so I can't thank him, but I think he's—he's the, he's the one that paid for it. All these stories that you find out after that, where God did this—I mean, I, I, I would have been paying that debt that to this day. <laughs> <laughs> not literally but you, you know someone covered that for us and we did not know we adopted again 18 months later uh about 18 months two, two years like two years no two and a half years later and uh and then then we had eight adoptions fall through in the next years it came and just gave up and and then an 11 year gap all of a sudden boom boom adopted two more very very quickly so when you adopt it, it's quite a journey it's mm-hmm. a there's i think there's two million couples I've heard, waiting to adopt. No no baby needs to be killed. There's plenty of people who would adopt in, in a heartbeat. Uh, back to uh, back to the issue, you've, you've testified before Congress, correct?
0: I have many times, after I first told them that I must be the wrong person for the job. I mean, I really did tell a staffer that. I can't believe in hindsight that I did, but I was scared. You know, I, I think there is something to be said for blind faith. I mean, I'm a big fan. I now uh, never tell, I, I try not to tell God no. I say yes and then ask questions later, sometimes much, much, much later. But yes, I've testified before Congress many times. You know, when I started to share my story publicly, I started to find out everywhere I went, another survivor whispered their story to me. And so I started serving survivors as much as I could um, but God kind of led me forward to not only speak the truth and, and advocate for the for the pre and women like my birth mother, but he's also led me to this place to serve other people like me.
1: Wouldn't, men, wouldn't many survivors of abortion be somewhat partially humiliated uh, 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 when they, they have some arms cut off, perhaps, or some mutilation? Because uh, surviving an abortion, it can't be an easy process. Uh, is that not a? Is that not a, affected many who did survive?
0: Every survivor is very unique. I mean, of course, we have the fingerprints of God all over us, so we're all so unique. Through our work at the Abortion Survivors Network, so we became a nonprofit in 2019 when really it all became too much for me. Survivors were coming forward so rapidly as the nation was really celebrating abortion in so many places like New York and we were talking hearing about infanticide in Virginia and what people never can imagine jim is that when those kind of things are happening there are people like me and families adoptive families and biological parents raising survivors who are completely traumatized by watching all of these things happen. And so they start looking for other people like them or for help. And so that's what really happened in 2019. We became a nonprofit because there were too many people for me to serve alone anymore. So through our network, we've connected with about 640 survivors. I mean, we are it's been almost 10 survivors in the last week alone. Something happens every time we break through the media, shame and silence, and we we are seen and heard and when survivors are out speaking. So we're right about 640 from 23 different countries. Our survivors range in age from being babies right now. So babies who survive both chemical abortion pills or sometimes one chemical abortion pill or you know have a successful abortion pill reversal where they can start giving progesterone. So we have babies that I'm hearing about weekly. And then our oldest survivors are actually in their 90s. Um, who survived abortion attempts long before Roe. So, you know, babies survived way before Roe versus Wade. Many of us survived during Roe, even though they perfected how to end the life of a baby during Roe. And babies are still surviving abortions today. And we're not typically who you expect us to be. I'm not scalded anywhere. People tend to have that question. I'm not scalded. I don't have any heart defects. Uh, I do have, like, asthma that may or may not be related to what happened to me. I think my one big issue is my immune system is wonky. Uh, Many survivors have very interesting immune systems because babies in the womb experience the stress that their mothers go through. So think of a crisis, unplanned pregnancy, then you... Add on the stress of some sort of an abortion attempt, whether they're trying it at home or they're, you know, in a hospital or they're in a clinic. So the amount of stress my body bore in that saline abortion, I can't even begin to imagine how much I suffered. But what I can tell you is that my trauma, my body switch was turned on and I can never quite turn that sucker quite off. So I've had shingles 12 times. My body just is always under stress.
1: Pretty amazing story. I, I unfortunate amount of time we got to get to prayer because we are a prayer network. But say a word if you would. And Melissa, you you are profound as a speaker. You are remarkable. Uh, what what a what a remarkable story this is. And 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 your 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 articulation skills are so phenomenal. You're able to paint the pictures, uh, really really well. I see why they want you to speak in front of Congress and everywhere else. You're in demand. By the way, if people want you to speak, they, can they go to Melissa Oden, that's O-H-D-E-N, folks, MelissaOden.com, and they can uh, find you, can make connection with you there for a speaking engagement?
0: Absolutely there, and also our Abortion Survivors Network website is Abortion survivors. and they can find out more about me and book other survivors to speak as well. That's part of what we do. We heal them through a specialized curriculum. We empower them with a community and relationships that further that healing. We equip them with how to be speakers and train them in advocacy. And then we launch them, we activate them. We'll have ambassadors in probably 20 states later this year. So we can make abortion ultimately unthinkable and preach the gospel through our lives.
1: The network is called Abortion Survivors Network. Is that right? And is there a website for that?
0: Yep. So that is abortionsurvivors.org. And folks can find us on social media at that particular handle as well, the Abortion Survivors Network.
1: Abortion? Abortion? Is is it abortionsurvivor.org?
0: Yep. Abortionsurvivors, plural, dot, O-R-G. plural.
1: uh, Plural. Okay. Thank you. Uh, we we I got to wrap it up here to get to prayer right now, but I, I need the, the Born Alive bill. Uh, I, I I was shocked that any human being could vote against this. Uh, but every single Democrat voted against it, except for Henry, uh, in Texas, and then Vincent Gonzalez in Texas voted present. Right. Uh, I believe I'm accurate that every Republican voted for it, so it came out to two twenty versus. 210 by that close i mean how could we have gotten to a place in the country where 210 people elected to congress have said if a baby survives abortion and and you heard what nancy pelosi kamala harris even chuck schumer over in the senate said how terrible this is uh say a word about that and we're going to wrap up and go right to prayer
0: I was in the gallery that day for the vote. I was with members of Congress, Congresswoman Ann Wagner and Majority Leader Scalise, who I've worked with for about 10 years to get this passed. So it means a lot to me. And, you know, I can tell you to see, unfortunately, the Democrat side dressed in white making a stand. What they don't realize, Jim, is that people like me are watching. We are their constituents as well. This is not a partisan issue. Abortion survivors are not a partisan issue. We are fellow human beings who deserve protection and respect. And so this is always my kind of, my olive branch to them to say, instead of standing up against us and fighting against my population being cared for, could you just listen to me for once?
1: Wow. Wow, my goodness. I saw the picture of the Democrat Uh, members of congress dressed in white making a protest statement i I wouldn't say you should be dressed in red blood drenched from the innocent blood that's flowing under the streets of the city for what what you are doing this is this is beyond me uh melissa odin what a gift of god you are providentially born what a story this is a I hope you're going to tell me that somebody's going to make a movie on this because this has got to get out there somehow. So any chance of that?
0: We're working on it. It's uh, it's a funding issue. So if anybody really has a, a joy for that, boy, we've got a, a place where you can help make that happen. The enemy would love nothing more than my story and the stories of my fellow survivors to remain silent. So pray for that.
1: If you want to help in that financially, uh, Melissa, can they go to melissaoden.com and they can make a donation through that?
0: Best place would actually be on the abortion survivors website. So abortionsurvivors.org.
1: Abortion survivors, plural, that is, dot org. And you can make a donation there. Is that also your website as well?
0: My website is connected to the two. Okay. You can actually click through the two.
1: Well, we need to see that movie come out. Lord Jesus, we just call for it. Call for the right people, the right funds, the right director, producer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Melissa, would you just pray in prayer or lead a prayer right now? I'm thinking of people who are listening right now, who are watching, who were like that family, your birth family. They were in church. They were in the choir. Mighty Mean a Science School class. And they made a very tragic decision may of course the daughter or may just themselves made that decision and um, would you just pray for them right now to receive the full healing and restoration that god has for them
0: father god we just thank you for our time together lord we thank you for the gift of every life not just the lives of abortion survivors like me but all Life, including those who have been impacted by an abortion. Lord, we pray for the men, we pray for the women, we pray for the grandparents and the aunts and uncles, the siblings, the cousins, even friends who have been part of an abortion. Lord, as we enter this new time in our nation, we know that the key to rebuilding a culture of life is truly healing. And so it starts with each of us individually, and in our families, Lord. So please break the strongholds of abortion. Heal the generations that have been so hurt by abortion, Lord. Bring healing to people's hearts and ultimately to families, and may that spill over into our culture and and every area of our nation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
1: And Lord, thank you. Thank you for saving the life of Melissa. Like Moses found in the Nile. Lord, thank you for miraculously saving her. And she's been raised up as the voice to the defenseless. And thank you for those 640 that she knows about and probably many others around the globe we don't know about. Thank you for miraculously saving so many lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, Melissa, all I'm just going to say is thank you. This is amazing.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if
1: you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that Well-Versed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership.
0: Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes.
1: Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too.
0: Thank you for listening to the Well-Versed Podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.